language has a generative quality that I think we don't appreciate. Language is not just, I describe how things are, but language has the possibility to create new things. Welcome to the Mining the Gap podcast. My name is Chris Barris, and I'm joined here with my son, Declan Barris, and we are trying to help you close the gap between who you are and who you could be by giving the best tools that we know of for transformation and change. Today, I want to talk about words. Declan, it occurs to me there are so many words out there. In fact, we're doing a podcast and adding more words into the world. So there's just no shortage of like articles, especially since digital has made things so easy. Everybody can like publish all of their thoughts all the time, whether you blog or whether you speak, whether you do a podcast, there's just a lot out there. And I think when we put so many words out in the world, we start treating them as if they're cheap. Mm -hmm. And I don't think they are. I actually think words have a ton of power and words are unappreciated when it comes to transformation and change. What I want to start with and what I believe, and I just want you to react to this, is our words have the power to shape us or shape our future. How does that sit with you? Yeah, I totally agree. I think the words we use are overlooked and undervalued often in society, yet a crucial part of transformation and change and living the life you want to live. And the reason why I think they're so powerful is words are the vocalization of beliefs we have and really beliefs drive just about everything in the world. So understanding how you're talking and how it relates to your beliefs gives you the option to be able to change those beliefs through changing your words. And I think that's the big point there. Right. So what you're saying is not only are words the vocalization of our beliefs, like I believe this and then it comes out of my mouth, I say it, but also words have the power to shape the beliefs. Right. You start speaking differently, you actually start believing differently about whatever it is you're trying to do. Yeah. And in it being the vocalization, it's sometimes the reinforcement of your beliefs that you might not have consciously thought, but you're saying it over and over again. It's getting repeated therein. The beliefs are getting reinforced. Sure. I mean, you can see this in a lot of companies or organizations. If you walk into an organization and you listen to how people talk about what we do here, you're going to start hearing the language, like the beliefs are coming out through the language. So people are going to say, oh, this is exciting. We have this coming up and it's this. Like you're either picking up on, hey, they're upbeat. They have a positive view of the future. They believe in something. Or you're going to hear like a lot of snark and negativity. And you're like, okay, what they think about the future, they're speaking that into existence. It's coming out. Their beliefs are coming out in their words. And so usually if you listen closely, to organizations or to people, you can see and you can hear what they believe about the world. And that's a big deal. Right. And I think the important thing there is those beliefs directly impact how you show up to the world and how those people show up to the world. So listening and tuning your ear to hear the beliefs in the way we talk helps us understand how we and how the people around us are showing up to the world. So if you can learn to dissect those beliefs, you can very clearly see why people are acting the way they act, why you are acting the way you act, why you come to the conclusions that you come to when they're not conscious. And I think that's the underlying principle there. Yeah, yeah. So let's get some examples going. When you hear someone talk, if you're coaching someone or working with someone and you hear 
language coming out of them. What are the words you hear that sort of tip you off to like their beliefs, their mindset, you know, they're sort of not good that you're like, "Mm, that's a thing you're saying. We should follow up on that. So yeah, in a coaching scenario or a position where someone's talking to me and I'm giving them feedback or I'm just listening to people, I think where I start to see maybe there's a belief here that's holding them back or causing these results they don't want is when they're speaking very vaguely about what it is they believe, what it is they want, what it is they don't want. When there's vague language around what they're describing, that usually tips me off to, hey, there's a belief here that needs to be addressed, whether it's positive and needs to be reinforced Mm -hmm. or negative and maybe needs to be changed. So some of the examples for that, and we use these all the time, but we'll say more or less. I want to be more generous. I want to be less angry. And we don't really define what more or less actually looks like. Mm -hmm. And there's no way to measure it when we haven't defined success. So if you flew off the handle in anger five times last week and you say, I want to be less angry, and you fly off the handle four times this week, is that what you wanted? Like, it's a little bit undefined. Yeah. Less, more. Right. Uh, better is another one. I just want to get better at. I'm like, what is better? Put some sort of metric to it. Good like, and yeah. bad. I, yeah, I want to be good, good at this. I don't want to be bad at this, whatever it is. Yeah, those things are so subjective that if you're using language like that, there's a good chance you're not really going to move forward, that you're not really changing that much because you're just keeping it so vague so as to be not held to any actual results. Sure. (laughs) You don't have to show up for anything because it's like, well, I didn't say I was going to be great. I just said I was going to be better. Yeah. I think a lot of that is you don't have those beliefs conscious. So you don't know why you're doing the things you're doing, which is really the main point. Can you figure out why? You're using the words you're using. And when you don't do the work to interrogate and understand that, it's going to be really hard to get concrete results and talk about your future in a way that moves you towards it Sure, if you don't have a compelling vision. Sure. So one of the words that I think is a classic that shows up all the time is the word try. Mm -hmm. And when people use it, it's always a, I don't know if a red flag, but it's always some color of flag for me where I'm like, why are you saying try? Because it's so non-committal and it's not even just non-committal to the other person. Like if you said to me, Hey dad, let's hang out and let's go hit golf balls on Saturday. And if I said to you, well, I got a lot going on. I'll try. I'm making Saturday plans. Yeah. You're, yeah. Yeah. That's <laughs> game time decision. You're going to be like, nah, I'm going to go do something else because all I said was I'll try. And I think maybe what I meant was I really want to do that, but I have competing priorities and I'd like to be there and we'll see what happens. It's so non-committal, but it's also where I think we underappreciate it is try is a bad word for you, for yourself, not just for the other person. Like it's bad for the other person because they don't know if they can count on you. Mm -hmm. But when you say words like try, you're saying to your own brain, we might do this, we might not. Yeah. And that's a hard way to function. It's sort of an open loop in the brain. Like, are we doing this or not? Like, for example, if I said to myself, I'm going to read one chapter a day of a book so that I get these books read. And I made a plan. All right. My brain would be like, oh, we're reading a chapter a day. Okay. Well, you're going to need to get up early or you're going to need to take a lunch break and you're going to need to read and whatever. And so I make this plan to read a chapter a day. If I said to my brain, I'm going to try to read a chapter a day. That's not exactly the same plan. 
Like yeah. I can make a plan to try to read and I can make a plan to read, but they're not exactly the same thing. And your brain doesn't know what to do with it. You're sitting there going, I'm going to try to read a chapter a day. And your brain's like, are we doing this or not? Is this going to happen or not? Yeah. And it's such an open loop. It's such a non-committal. And I think we do that kind of stuff because we're not clear on our vision and we're not clear on what we really want. An easy way to do it, it would say like, well, okay, put money on it. Like if I said, Declan, if you read a chapter a day for a week, I'll give you $1,000. You're not going to respond by saying, I'll try. You'll be like, I'm doing it because I'm going to get $1,000 because now it matters to you enough yeah. and you'll put the language on it. I will do this. Right. And I think that's huge. That's where language is powerful. We have to say, I am doing exactly this and don't say things like, I'll try to do it. Yeah. I think you're making a good point there. And I want to touch on that, that there's certain ways we can talk about the future, our vision, who we want to be in ways that are powerful. And mm -hmm. the term that I like is empowered. What do you think makes language powerful or makes language empowered? I think what makes it powerful is that it has the ability to shape us to draw us into a preferred future, to pull us out of sort of our default future. I think that's what makes language powerful. And I think there are words that you can use that help with that. And then there are words like we just described that sort of don't help with that. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I totally agree. My experience of what makes language powerful or what makes empowered language is that it's very clear in the purpose or in what it's trying to accomplish. There's a sense of ownership in empowered language sure. that you are taking ownership for. I am reading a chapter a day mm -hmm. for a week. Mm -hmm. There's an ownership in that versus I'll try, I'll think about it. I want to, I want to do better versus like making that verbal commitment. So I think clarity and ownership. And then I think it's creative in nature. I think it's less mm -hmm. about what you can get and what you can extract and more about the opportunity and possibility. Mm -hmm. So when you approach situations, taking ownership, getting very clear and trying to create something out of it, I think that's where you find empowered language very useful in transformation. I think there's a word that I learned for this a couple of years back. You said creative. I think the word is generative, where it yeah, has like the that. ability to bring about new things or to create new things. So language has a generative quality that I think we don't appreciate. Language is not just, I describe how things are, but language has the possibility to create new things. Abraham Heschel is a rabbi. He says, words make worlds. And that is an idea that we speak some things into existence, which is a weird idea. It's certainly a Jewish and a Christian idea that God creates the earth by speaking it. But I think if we also have a similar power, we can create things by, in a sense, speaking them into existence. So we use empowered language the way you described it, and it can be a very generative and creative process to speak and bring about new things in our lives. Yeah. So when you say that, I initially hear the modern idea of manifesting something. Ouch. And I think it's important to make a distinction between empowered language and just speaking something so that it happens. What's the difference there? That's a good question. I said, ouch, because I do think when you say like manifest, I get like all 
creeped out. Like, oh, what does that mean? Because it's such an odd, like, I'm going to manifest this promotion by speaking it into the universe or something like that. But the problem is like your coworker may also manifest that same promotion that you're going for. And then which one of you is manifesting correctly? I don't, I don't know. It gets really weird Yeah, <laughs> and doesn't really work. And so I don't think this whole like speak into the universe, I get what people are trying to get at there. I do think there is value in speaking up and saying what you want to see happen. Maybe the best way to think of it is like a declaration. If you say, I will do this at such and such a time, you kind of put it out there publicly in writing, in words, you tell a friend, you're just more likely to do it. Like that's just a fact. The classic, okay, so it's the Declaration of Independence, right? If you go back and look at the Declaration of Independence in our country's history, it was written before it was true. So they wrote and said, we are independent, we are this, we are free of England and all the things they write in the Declaration of Independence, but they weren't actually free. They had to go fight a war to make all of it true. So they were putting it out there and they were describing the future that they said, we will have this, but it wasn't literally true in the moment that they put it out there. So I think that's an example of it, the power of it. Another classic one would be Martin Luther King. He says, I have a dream. He was not describing current reality. He wasn't saying this is what's going on right now and whatever. He's declaring a vision for the future and using really powerful language to say, this will be, this is where this is going to go. And there's something profound about that. There's something that really pulls you forward when you make declarations like that. So I think, I believe in declarations. I just, I get sort of creeped out when we start getting into like, I'm manifesting this into the universe. It's like, no, speak and declare what you want and be clear. And that's going to help pull you forward. But I don't think it's going to like cosmically change the universe necessarily. Mm -hmm. I think what wasn't said, but an important thing to point out about the Declaration of Independence and the I Have a Dream speech is, for one, they weren't saying how they were going to try. They were making a declaration. Mm -hmm. It was both the vocalization of their beliefs that, my children won't be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character, that we are a free country, free from England. But those were really the vocalization of their beliefs. And then their actions followed. They went and fought the war after they spoke with empowered language about mm. their intentions. And it wasn't an idea. It wasn't, hey, this would be cool. Let's try this. It's, hey, no, this is our vision for the future, a free country a desegregated country. Mm -hmm. Now let's go make it happen. Yeah. And then they had to go start living into it and it took a long time. Right. One more thing I thought about that really speaks to the power of language. You and I, have we talked about the study they did with the milkshakes. I am not familiar. Enough. So I read about this. This is like 10 years ago, I think. So they do this study and they get a group of participants together. I think this is just the craziest story. They get a group of participants together and they give them this shake. Now, it's a chocolate shake and it has 300 calories. And one group, they tell them it is a 600 calorie chocolate indulgence shake. That's what they call it. And the second group, they give them the exact same shake, and they tell them that it's an 180-calorie shake called the Sensa Shake. So, you know, it's a sensible drink or whatever. Yeah. So they give these two groups the shake, but it's the same shake, and it has 300 calories. And then they study the effects of the drink on the body. And there's a hormone. I learned about this from getting into fasting, actually. The hormone that makes your stomach growl or that makes you feel hungry is called ghrelin. 
And after you eat, that hormone goes down. You feel satisfied. Sure. And they measured ghrelin in these two groups. And basically, they found that the people who were told it's an indulgent shake, their hunger, the ghrelin level dropped even more than the people who were told that it was like a healthy, sensible shake. Yeah. That's nuts to me. That's insane. So basically, what we're saying is the literal biochemical effect on the body has to do with what words you were told and what you believed was actually happening. Mm -hmm. I don't know about you. That sort of flies in the face of, I don't know, everything I learned in a science textbook for my entire life, which is like, no, no, this is science and it's measurable and it's just going to be this way. And, you know, sort of it is what it is as far as the science goes. And along comes a study and they're like, it matters what you are told, the words that were used and what you believe is happening. It literally changes things in the way your body responds. Yeah. That's why I'm studying psychology. I'll let you know when I get there. And yeah, yeah, I'm sure you'll learn about exactly that study. Exactly why that happened. Yeah, um, but it tells me that there's something else going on here. It's not so black and white and that maybe words do create worlds, even within your body. Maybe the way you think and talk about the exercise you're going to do affects the body's reaction to the exercise. Maybe yeah. the way you think about I'm going to go study and the way you talk about that study session affects how much you actually absorb. There's real power here. The words do create worlds and some of those worlds it creates are inside of you. Sure. And I think a cool part of that, that we could probably spend a whole episode talking about is that those words can create beliefs and worlds in other people too, depending Mm -hmm. on what you tell them about Mm -hmm. the shake, their body reacts Mm -hmm. differently. So when you look at, especially in organizations, you look at culture the words you use when talking about the work you're doing there or when talking about your job or the people you work with can create beliefs in other people too and physically and chemically change what's going on for them and how they show up to the world. So I think, you know, the beginning of this podcast, we talked about how words affect who we are and where we're going, but they have a tremendous impact on the people around us as well. 100%. We'll pick that up more next week. I really feel like the words conversations may be a two-parter. Next week, we'll talk about promises and commitments to ourselves and to others and how that changes things when we make promises and keep them and the level of commitment that we do that, how that changes stuff for us and changes stuff for other people. All right. Instead of doing quick books this week, I wanted to pick up on two quotes that I just wanted to hear your reaction to. And I thought it would be good to sort of kick these around for a second. A guy named Eric Hoffer. I've had this quote for a long time and I didn't even know who Eric Hoffer is. So I went back and looked him up and I came across a second quote of his and I was like, this guy's just a quote machine. Like he says really interesting things. Who is he? I go look him up on Wikipedia because I was like, this seems like a guy I'd love to like go get a beer with or something. And like, talk to and learn from. Turns out he's not alive anymore. So this is a problem. I'm shocked. Yeah. So he died in like the 80s. So I missed my window here to talk to Eric Hoffer. But he was a philosopher, thinker, writer in the 20th century. And he was also listed as a longshoreman. I have no idea what a longshoreman is. Do you know what a longshoreman is? Beats me. I need to look this up. I should Google this. Yeah, no, I think it's like the mascot of a football team. Okay. There's there's probably the longshoreman. Sounds like a Do you know where he's from? 
I think New England, so that's okay. probably a thing. So anyway, longshoreman, philosopher. So the first quote that I've always loved of his is, the weakness of a soul is proportionate to the number of truths that must be kept from it. And this goes back into honesty that we were talking about in an earlier episode. The weakness of a soul is proportionate to the number of truths that must be kept from it. I think about that all the time of like, can I face reality? Can I face the truth of myself, of my relationships, of people around me? Can I face the truth? If I can't, there's a weakness there that there's something I need to look at because I'm not willing to really see what is. But I wanted to give you one more quote, and I wanted your thoughts on this one. Also, this is credit to Eric Hoffer, but other people have said it as well. And it ties into what we were talking about in the last episode around fulfillment. You had asked me towards the end of the episode, you said, what's the value of fulfillment or why should we pursue fulfillment? And there's this quote from him that says, you can't have enough of what you don't really want. You can't have enough of what you don't really want. How does that land on you as you hear that? So really both of those... What sticks out to me the most, whether it's the number of truths that you're keeping from the soul or not having enough of what you don't really want, it both points to clarity and not Mm -hmm. being vague about what it is you want and who it is you are. Yeah. And I think that's where the words come into play here, at least words with fulfillment, talking about what's actually going on Mm -hmm. and getting clear on what you really want. That's the whole premise of transformation. Yeah. So fulfillment might be, okay, stop pursuing a bunch of stuff that you don't actually want. Get clear on what you do want and then use your words. Like we said to you when you were learning to speak, use your words and speak up about what you actually want and what you're actually trying to do. Yeah. That second quote just really stuck with me because I just thought about there's a lot of, in our culture, I think there's a lot of chasing after things that are just there and we don't ever stop to think about, do I really want this and would it really satisfy me and would it really matter if I got it? There's just a lot of carrots that are dangled in front of us. I think your generation, everybody who's 18 to 25, you get this like, do this, now do this, now do this. And get the degree and get the this, and then you're going to be happy and then you're going to be fulfilled. And man, we need to spend a little more time going, do you actually want that? Is that really going to matter to you if you got it? And I think that's why maybe we're a bit angsty is we're just getting things that don't satisfy us. Mm -hmm. So that's the pod. Next week, we are going to talk about the promises we make and break and how accounting for those promises will help us change. So do us a favor, share this podcast with your friends, with everybody you know, and also leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a review so that people can hear what this is about. We believe in what we're doing here and we hope you do too and hope you get a lot out of it. So hopefully we'll catch you next week. That's the pod. Yeah.